The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Squawk Box with Karen Cho, Steve Sedgwick and myself, Jeff Cutmore. Let's get into your headlines. Apple reports its best quarterly revenue ever, topping expectations for iPhone and Mac sales in the crucial holiday quarter. As CEO Tim Cook says supply issues are fading. Our supply chain actually uh, does does very good considering the shortages because it's it's a fast moving supply chain the cycle times are very uh short but tesla's ongoing supply snarls lead the stock sharply lower with shares of the electric car maker weighing on wall street in another choppy session Hey, big spender, LVMH posts a record of four-year profits and sales amid a surge in demand for high-end handbags and jewellery in China and the United States, despite rising price pressures. We have a degree of uh, flexibility on our prices, so in the face of inflation, we have the ways and means to react, and I believe that demand will remain strong. And the U.S. President Joe Biden reportedly warning his Ukrainian counterpart, Mr. Zelensky, that a Russian invasion could be imminent, as the Pentagon reveals a troop buildup in the past few hours. Let's take you back to our headline story this morning. Apple shares rose in after hours trade after the iPhone maker reported a record quarterly revenue of almost $124 billion as supply chain issues apparently eased. The iPhone maker beat on the top and the bottom line with sales for every product category bar the iPad beating expectations. Apple CEO Tim Cook acknowledged that inflationary pressures are affecting the company in an interview with CNBC's Julia Boston. Cook also said he was trying to adjust pricing to reflect the issue and for the value that we deliver. Well, let's get out to Arjun for more. Arjun, this was the quarter that we saw the full lineup of iPhone 13 from the, the Pro to the Mini to the Max. And uh, it seemed as though people wanted the product. There were just a few supply constraints in the backdrop, but that really seemed to just capture more some of the tablet uh, part of the market, not necessarily the phone part. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Karen. What we saw from the quarter was a beat in every product product category apart from iPads, which were down. The company saying that that was very much due to the supply constraints, as you said. Overall, of course, if you look top line, it was a very strong earnings report. Revenue up 11% to a record $123.9 billion for the quarter. EPS jumping 25%. But it really was that commentary around the supply chain while you're seeing that positive share price reaction as well. Uh, Apple has not given guidance guidance uh, since the pandemic begun. So people watch very closely here for commentary from management. And Tim Cook addressed the supply constraint issues uh, during the analyst call. Let's just listen in to what he had to say. It's very difficult to estimate with great precision constraints, but we said that they would be more than the Q4 or more than the September quarter. And we're saying that March will be less than the December quarter. It's frustrating that we can't always do that at the speed that, that we would like. 
Uh, however, uh, March is better than December. And, and so there's some, there's some encouraging sign there. So these were the comments that the market was fixated on, the fact that supply chain constraints, uh, Apple says, are going to be less in the March quarter versus the December quarter. Of course, a positive. You had uh, management saying that they expect a, a record March quarter revenue as well. So all very positive uh, things there uh, as well. And Apple really has done very well uh, out of a lot of the tech companies to navigate this chip shortage. I heard Tim Cook say uh, to CNBC that their issue was with legacy chips rather than the leading edge. Now, when we think about the leading edge chips, these are the semiconductors that go into the company's products like the iPhone, like the iPad. Uh, and Apple, of course, is a huge buyer of those from its supplier and manufacturer, TSMC. Apple, of course, very important customer for TSMC. So at, at some point, it sort of get dibs on these chips uh, as soon as they're available. So it's managed to, to uh, navigate those supply chain issues very well. And that's why you saw strength in the December quarter and that forecast for a very strong March quarter as well. Now, just a quick breakdown of the products you alluded to at the start there, Karen, iPad dropping 14%, those on supply constraints, but iPhone revenue up 9%. That is, of course, an extremely important product. And the iPhone 13 series that came out during the quarter is proving a very, very important product for the company. It's uh, got a lot of traction. And also, if you look in China in particular, that product, it, uh, Apple managed to eke out gains uh, in, despite a declining market in China. It's now the number one player in the fourth quarter in China, thanks to the iPhone, thanks for the 5G capabilities, the pricing they've got out there. And that, of course, has contributed to success as well. And of course, services, another key area that investors watch for a 19.5 billion revenue in the quarter, another huge quarter growth of 24%. This is seen, of course, as key to the future Apple growth story, given the fact that this will allow them to, to continue to gain revenue from their install base. So overall, very strong report from Cupertino. Commentary around easing supply chain is really what got the market excited in this one, Steve. Thank you very much, Arjun. I was just reading a rather good article about the battle in China with Huawei and others. Uh, it was written by the aforementioned Arjun Kapow. So thank you very much for that, Arjun. Uh, you can find out about this article. It's on CNBC.com and how they have reclaimed uh, that number one spot in China by going to CNBC.com. Karen. Bring in I'll Ben Wood, then yeah. chief analyst at CCS Insight. Ben, very good morning to you. Uh, just give us some thoughts on where you think Apple goes from here and whether the stock looks undervalued at these levels. Well, I think the interesting thing with Apple is it's like a freight train at the moment. It seems unstoppable. It's weathered the uh, pandemic extremely well. And a number that caught my um, eye was very much the 1.8 billion active device is on the uh, Apple network. And um, that's an astonishing install base, which gives them tremendous momentum. And I'm sure I'll be back at some point talking about them hitting a milestone of 2 billion um, towards the end of the year, which is just just incredible. The reaction in the market perhaps wasn't as excited as uh, some of the technical analysts um, who were looking at the uh, size of the revenue. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that in previous quarters, the degree of beat has just been significantly higher. I think this is Apple's constant problem. They, they overperform. Expectations are massive. There's a lot of expectations built in. Uh, and even though uh, from what I understand, um, you know, they beat a lot of the consensus earnings as well. Um, there, there, there's always some interesting reactions in the stock. But the trajectory is interesting. And, uh, 
you know, there's other parts to their business, like the subscriptions business, which I think Arjun referred to, uh, and kind of all-time records in most categories, um, and some some good news on the on the component supply chain as well, an area where Apple has excelled um, over the last uh, 18 months. Ben, can I test the water on that? Because Tim Cook really pushing back around some of the supply chain issues, but it was a very negative reaction to when he updated the market last time round, and perhaps he wanted to manage the situation a bit better this time. It felt as though there are still issues, though. If you look at the Mac, for instance, the MacBook Pros, there's a delay time that's still quite long. Some of the estimated delivery is still, what, March and April for some of these key products. There are issues with the iPad as well. Is it just slightly less focused because it's not around the phones and the phones have come to the market doing a lot of heavy lifting now for Apple? I think obviously people look at the phones because it's such an important part of Apple's revenue. And uh, we even saw Apple diverting components away from iPad. Again, I think Arjun referred to that. Um, but um, yeah, that, that's that's a fortunate position they're in. Um, but let's make no secret about it. There are con- su- supply constraints with components. Apple is doing better than others, but it's not completely immune. Um, But I think it was very encouraging um, that they talked about the fact that supply constraints will be less. They didn't say they're going away. They said they will be less in the March quarter. Uh, And and I think there'll be a number of Apple's competitors who will be looking on green with envy uh, because they are anticipating that they will continue to have significant difficulties well, well into the end of the year. Ben, I want to ask you about new gadgets, new devices. I know that the tech uh, investors were very much focused on this. What comes next after this product uh, that we've had around the iPhone 13 that gets embedded into the system? But there is a new product category that some are are watching. This is uh, effectively a a mixed reality headset. Some believe it may not uh, come to the market until about 2023. And it would be the first new category since the Apple Watch back in 2015. Does Apple need to bring out new devices like this to keep investors interested? Well, I think what Apple has shown is that the consistency it delivers with its products has worked very well. But we also know from looking at the history of tech that things do move on um, and therefore people do have an expectation of new products. But Apple has never been a company to be one of the first to bring new products to market. They're quite happy to wait to see uh, products reach a certain level of maturity before they jump in. Uh, there is an enormous about, uh, amount of hype and hyperbole around the so-called you know, metaverse, augmented and virtual reality. There are some really brilliant applications, but I think that people maybe need to calm down a little bit and uh, perhaps look at you know, what Apple are doing with their services revenue, exploiting that installed base. Um, but they're also still spending an enormous amount of money on R&D. And I am very intrigued to understand what that R&D money is being spent on. Oh, ben, you're so excited about this company. I need to calm you down a bit. Now, look, this is a company that for most of the last decade traded between 10 times forward uh, and 20 times forward. It currently trades at 27 times forward over 28 times trading. We all know that Apple's a great company and you're eulogizing about the 2 billion users to come. I'm sure that will happen. But the fact of the matter is it is dangerously overpriced compared with its 10 year average, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm more of a technology analyst than a financial analyst, so I'm not specifically well qualified to talk about the valuations. But um, I think that what history has shown is that Apple has a very steady hand at the tiller with Tim Cook. They seem to continue to eke out growth, even when people have written them off previously. Uh, and, and the products are 
have magnetic attraction to people who get them and they tend to keep them. So yes, um, you know, I'll leave the financial analyst to decide on whether the valuation is appropriate or not. But looking at it in the context of the competitive landscape, they seem to be sitting pretty with um, pressure a little bit from Samsung, but even Samsung with all of their might and their diversity and all of the different elements of the supply chain that they themselves control, uh, I still struggle every quarter to match the performance that Apple deliver. So in the context of the broader market, I, I still remain quite encouraged. All right, fair enough, though. But at the end of the day, let me take it from another point of view, then. This is a company which, as you said, has sway potentially over two billion people. Uh, you know, nearly, what is it? nearly a quarter of the planet as well. They're going to run into regulatory issues, aren't they? I think that's always a danger and they're constantly navigating that. And I think we should also, you know, having been in the technology industry for a long time, you can look at history and you know, the, the big do fall very quickly if things go wrong. So if you look at uh, Nokia, for example, who reached a 40% market share on a global basis, that looked like an unassailable lead, but there was a technology disruption that they missed. And I think that that's why um, what Apple does next will be important. And, and I think that those questions will get louder, uh, particularly if some of their rivals start to get some traction with some other devices. So in, in that context, they do need to be um, um, more careful. Um, but they've certainly got a tremendous war chest to fight uh, anyone that comes after them. Yes, indeed, they have, Ben. Absolutely lovely speaking to you today. And, and sorry for wrong-footed or trying to about the financial stuff as well. I'll ask someone else about that one. Ben Wood, no, the no, Chief no, Analyst at CCS <laughs> Insight. Coming up on the show, Lighting Group Signifier ends the year with a double-digit operational profit margin. We'll speak with the CEO, Eric Rondelat. Uh, that's coming up after the break, Karen. And for more on Apple's earnings in the crucial holiday quarter, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Uh, welcome back to Scorebox. I'm just taking a, a slide rule over Unicredit, uh, the share price performance, and indeed their latest figures. They do not trade on a big multiple, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 0.49 is the price to book. Uh, P ratio going forward is 8.2. Uh, just looking at the latest figures, bigger loss than expected. We were expecting some numbers later on last night, but we've had them this morning. Uh, fourth quarter net loss, uh, 1.44 billion euros versus the expected figure of 1.2. One five. Uh, the net interest figure in the fourth quarter that looks better than expected. Two point four one billion in net interest versus two point two three. But in an era of zero and negative rates uh, from the Bank of uh, 
European Central Bank and of course Bank of Italy as well, a de facto as well, you'd be surprised to see anything other than a low uh, write down, I beg your pardon, a low uh, delinquency level as well, where the non performing exposure ratio is still 3.6%, despite the fact that companies virtually get free money to remain as zombies, of course. Uh, the pro forma CET1 ratio, i.e., the regulatory capital, at 14.13, they are talking about shareholder distribution of 3.75 billion euros. Uh, cash dividend of 1.17. But the shares have had a solid old rally, despite those low ratios I mentioned, Jeff. Uh, Virtually a year ago, they were trading at 7.5 euros per share. Uh, They've almost doubled that, just under 14 euros. Jeff. Steve, thank you very much indeed for that. I think we can all give ourselves a little pat on the back, can't we? Because we talked yesterday together about how the reaction to the Fed's announcement seemed to be outsized in terms of what it was predicting for the futures and for the European market open early doors. And ultimately what we saw was, I think, some uh, rethinking going on in the markets. And even though we ended the session lower in terms of the US closes, The round trip brought us back to effectively flat for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So it is the ninth negative session in 10, but it didn't look anything like those early calls on the US futures that we were discussing together when we were here yesterday about this time. The S&P down about a half of 1%. And the NASDAQ, even though it's not here, we closed down 1.4%. So it was the weakest of the three markets. In terms of the week-to-date performance then, we popped up the board here. Ultimately, this means the NASDAQ is still more than 15% from its 52-week highs. The S&P more than 10% from its 52-week high. And the Dow about 7% away from its 52-week high. Let's just roll the boards. If we can, uh, okay, I'm being told that we're going to interrupt this because we have Eric Rondelet. Good, Steve, back to you for Signify. We do, Jeffrey, and he's got a hard out as well. So look, let's just tell you very briefly, sales growth of 4.5% after a near 70% rise in orders on the year. Let's get straight to Eric. Eric, really nice to see you, sir. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Look, 4.5% growth, very solid stuff. Why are you potentially predicting slower growth uh, in the outlook for the full year, i.e. 3 to 6%? Still quite wide, sir. Good morning to you. Ah, and I'm told literally as I ask the question, not because I asked the question, but literally as I asked the question, poor Eric uh, dropped out. I'm told we have some technical problems this morning. Uh, I think it's the sound issues, not his lighting, if you get the joke. joke. Anyway, they have said outlook full year adjusted revenue growth, 3 to 6% as well. And as I say, the figure that's just come in for the comparable sales growth was 4.5%. So question marks about the speed uh, of growth going forward as well. But questions also, uh, we're looking at the profitability of the company as well. EBITDA margin of 13.2% adjusted in the fourth quarter um, a year ago was 13.4%. So I think it's quite heavy weather uh, on the growth story and the profitability story. And of course, component shortages potentially, that's where I wanted to go with Eric as well. But unfortunately, Jeff, uh, we do seem to have technical problems. As I say, I hope it's his sound issues rather than his lighting issues. Yeah, well, let's see. Uh, let's see if we can uh, uh, perform uh, some sensible execution in terms of uh, Signify, and hopefully we'll get Eric back. But if you want to talk about successful execution, let's talk about where Elon Musk sold Tesla. Basically, Elon Musk managed to 
to get himself out in his recent stock sales uh, at the near-term top. So I think uh, Elon Musk was selling out at about 12.26. We are currently sitting at 829. To be honest, um, Elon Musk did actually talk about it being the top near-term for the stock on his Twitter feed. So if you followed Elon out of Tesla, then well done you. Otherwise, you are on a little bit of a white knuckle ride here as we've seen the share price roll over and it was another brutal session for tesla yesterday as strangely tesla continues to talk about chip shortages supply chain problems even as tim cook as you heard earlier in the program suggested that those problems were actually easing should we have a quick look at the asian markets uh, just show you the session there you go i think we've got uh, eric back do we Let's go back to Steve. Yeah, well, apparently we couldn't sort out those issues. We've got him on the phone. Good old-fashioned television. Eric, I'm so sorry. I don't know if it's our fault or your fault, but anyway, it doesn't matter. How are things looking at the moment? It think, seems to me that it's actually harder to find growth at the moment than it has been previously. Good morning, sir. Yeah, good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, look, the, um, on the side of the component shortages, we've seen the situation improving. Uh, during Q4, but we believe we will still be troubled uh, in the first semester of 2022, and it should go back to normalcy at this point in time. What we're very concerned about is also the logistic issues, and these ones have not really improved, and we don't see an improvement before the end of 2022. So, so let me get this right. Inflationary pressures, um, component shortages, these are still very clear and present dangers throughout 2022, despite policymakers, central bankers telling us that inflation is going to abate. What are you seeing? I'm, I'm more importantly, what are you seeing as an industrial company? Yeah, you remember, Stephen, when we talked last time, uh, we initiated, you know, the idea of having two types of inflation, one which is structural and one which is uh, more transitory. Uh, we think that the structural part of inflation may continue in 2022, you know, linked to the increase of price of some commodities. On the other hand, we see that uh, the transitory part of the inflation, you know, the fact that at this point in time, we're buying on the market sometimes components 40 times more expensive than what they used, they used to be before the crisis, so that we pay containers, you know, four times more than what we used to pay uh, before the crisis. We think that that part of the inflation will ease up uh, in the second half of the year. Eric, it's Karen jumping in. You've mentioned you've demonstrated some agility over the last two years. Does that lessen with time? Do you lose some of the ability to be dynamic when these persistence inflation problems uh, go on for much longer than anticipated? Well, not really. Uh, good morning, Karen. Uh, no, 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 not really. You know, when you look at the performance in 2021, it's, uh, it's a performance where we need to adapt to what we have in front of us. So we're growing, but what's more important is that we're growing in the targeted strategic business for us, namely connected lighting. You know, we've connected more than 96 million you know, light points on the planet uh, to date, and that business is growing in 2021 at 21%. At the same time, our growth platforms are growing 19%, and both businesses account for you know, something like 25% of the group turnover at this point in time. And we are recording in 21 our eighth consecutive year of improvement of the bottom line, you know, 90 basis points uh, in, uh, in, in 2021. So at the end of the day, you know, the transformation of the company has happened. You know, 80% now of our revenues, our cash, and our bottom line is coming from the digital businesses. So that helps us you know, during the crisis that we have lived in uh, in 2021. 
Can I ask you about the growth strategy and around one of your recent acquisitions, Affluence? Uh, this uh, gets you into the fast-growing cannabis market where you provide some lighting. Why is this an area that you want to be uh, exposed to at this stage? Well, we were already in that business, uh, Karen, with an entity which is based outside of Europe, which is doing uh, bio-based and non-bio-based, uh, non-bio-based being, uh, you know, what you being cannabis. And so we were doing it before, but from an entity based in Europe. Now, we acquiring uh, an entity which is based uh, in the U.S. in order to have a footprint there. Uh, when you look at Fluence, Fluence is doing uh, bio-based, but also non-bio-based. It's not purely uh, a, a bio-based um, business. Eric, can I ask you about the Eurozone? There was a terrific report this morning from IIF expressing concerns about investment in the Eurozone. Uh, they are pointing to a, a, a significant slowdown in real gross fixed capital investment. I just wonder, as you look at your geographical spread here, is there the prospect that the Eurozone will be one of the weaker markets through the rest of this year? Well, we, we've seen that, uh, you know, globally for all the different regions, uh, the um, anticipation of the growth and the GDP uh, for 2022 has been brought down lately. But we still uh, see, you know, 4% global GDP growth in the world. Uh, Europe has been very good for us, especially on the consumer side of the business. So I would say we have a reserve after the crisis to get back to a high level of growth, you know, on the professional side of the business, which has recovered much less. You know, if you, we have recovered 100% of where we were in 2019 on the consumer side of the business, we have only recouped around 89 to 90% on the professional part of the business. So we believe we have a big reserve here in Europe and in the other regions uh, to, uh, to be able to rebound in 2022. Just, uh, I mean, obviously the United States is your biggest market and we had an amazing uh, fourth quarter GDP number, um, extraordinary growth here for the United States. But a lot of that would have been supported by the fiscal policy to uh, reduce the impact of coronavirus. Uh, what are you expecting in terms of uh, the U.S. sales performance for the first few quarters? Well, they've been very strong. We've been, we had very strong sales, effectively, in uh, in U.S. Uh, in the fourth quarter, but to, uh, which was also, you know, compensated by the fact that we were uh, quite weak in Q3 because of uh, logistic uh, because of logistic issues. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we see uh, a strong U.S. Uh, supported also by you know all the investments you know towards uh, sustainability that have been voted. Um, at the end of last year. So we see good prospects in the US in 2022. Uh, I think they're calling you off, uh, Eric. You, they, they want you to move on, but we don't. But we've got to say goodbye. But nice to uh, hear from you. Uh, sorry, we couldn't get to see you in vision. But thank you so much indeed, as ever, for talking us through your numbers. We absolutely appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. Eric Rondelat, who is the CEO of Signify. Now, um, anyone else out there sick of city economists telling us that inflation's going to obey and it's not a problem? I prefer to listen to companies, don't you? Yes, absolutely. So let's listen to companies. One of the biggest in the world, Volvo Trucks, Volvo Arbay, as they're listed in Stockholm as well. We expect that inflationary pressures will continue. There, point blank as well. Extra costs to manage production due to supply chain disruptions as well as higher costs for material and freight as well. We will continue to have disruptions 
operations and stoppages, both in production and trucks in other parts of the group. The situation in the global supply chain for semiconductors and other components remains unstable. When you have companies telling you that, I'm at a loss of why the economists are still telling me that it's all under control, that the central banks are back on track. Okay, one more headline from Volvo Arbe today, and I think this is absolutely fascinating. I'm going to leave it dangling for you as well, actually, because Karen's got some French GDP as well. But how about this one? Volvo sees, this is trucks, not cars, right, in case you're still confused, sees full year 2022 China construction equipment market, i.e., so the whole year, wait for this, down 30 to 20%. Their previous was negative 25 to 15%. So they see things in China construction equipment market, China construction builds infrastructure, dare I say it, have a role in the real estate market as well, building product there, building. uh, China construction market down 30 to 20% in 2022. I think these are very important numbers and have big rollout ramifications for the broader markets. Karen, what about France? Uh, We have got some numbers crossing for the fourth quarter on GDP. And don't forget, this is an economy that has been growing fairly strongly, surprising a lot of pundits out there with the strength that it's been posting. But uh, now we've got the fourth quarter. It grew at a slower pace than the previous quarter as we saw that surge in coronavirus infections and PMIs were giving a sense of that too the other day. But uh, the Eurozone's second largest economy is still expanded by 0.7 of a percent. It does follow 3.1% growth the previous quarter. So still growing in the final three months of the year, according to INSEE, as opposed to these uh, estimates, uh, the first estimates for the period. The uh, economists out on the uh, street had expected the economy to grow by 0.5% of the quarter. So the 0.7% is better than expected on an annualized basis. Uh, the economy expanding by 5.4% in the final quarter. You've got to wonder what it would have looked like without Omicron hitting. But of course, everybody had to contend with that. So it is not a bad uh, turn of events when it comes to the French numbers that have been posted today. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.